Welcome to episode 121 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church for Christ Church and all who would care to listen in. Uh, my name is John Payne. I'm the senior minister of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. And I am uh, very excited to be sitting here today with a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we've probably been friends for over 10 years now, uh, Reverend Nathan Hilton, who is a church planting pastor in Sunderland, England, in the northeast of England with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales. Nathan, it's good to see you. Thank you. It's good to uh, be with you, John. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. And I think this is the first time you've been on the podcast. Is that right? It is. Okay. We've we've interviewed a few ministers from uh, the EPCW okay. uh, on this, but it's good to have you with us. And started with the best. Moving down to the worst. <laughs> oh no, it's just getting better. It's just getting better every week. Um, and uh, Nathan. Uh, yeah. Uh, led the Sunday school this morning at church and uh, did a great job sharing with us about uh, the mission of the church and uh, some specific, uh, specifics about his own congregation. And uh, so so just thought it would be nice to have a wider hearing uh, on this podcast and to learn more about your work. Uh, Nathan, tell us, uh, first of all, uh, you shared a little bit about your own testimony and it's just so so encouraging to hear about how God uh, worked in your life and, and your background and how how the Lord used a church plant in your life uh, to bring you to Christ. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, my own testimony encourages me tremendously in the work and is in part motivation for going out and planting a church in Sunderland. I was born in, in Sunderland, where I'm now planting the church, brought up in Gateshead. It's a poor working class town, not the kind of place where you would expect a reformed and Presbyterian church to be planted. Um, you kind of expect that to be in a more academic environment, full of readers, middle-class people, that kind of thing. Uh, but what happened in my case was that I was I was really living in the world in pursuit of pleasure, but finding none, desperately unhappy. And then I came, uh, having read some philosophy to the reading of the Word of God, and was led to, uh, well, I was deeply and increasingly attracted to the truth in God's Word. And I came to a point of uh, prayer uh, having not prayed since being a little boy, and I prayed mm. that God would reveal himself. And there was transformation in my heart uh, the following day when I woke up. Mm. And my desire was to then go to a church, and in the providence of God, a Presbyterian and Reformed church was planted that very month in the, the town where I lived. Wow. Yeah, and, and that was completely transformational. Um, I'd never been in a Presbyterian church, I'd never heard of a Presbyterian, I didn't know who John Calvin was, any of that sort of stuff. Mm. But it was, it was there that my life was truly changed. Um, seeing the Christian life modeled in the lives of mature, serious-minded believers, being in worship morning and evening, learning to keep the Lord's Day holy, uh, seeing men uh, pass to their families, love their children, and that was, it was deeply impressive and formative for me um, and has set me up for the rest of my life by the grace of God. And uh, I'm hoping to now give that to the people of Sunderland. That is so encouraging. What strikes me as, uh, as fascinating is, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, we need kind of the big box, superfi superficial evangelical hmm. approach and strategy in order to reach young people mm. for Christ. And you had shared this morning that you were caught up in drugs and alcoholism and debauchery. And, and, uh, and yet it was through this ordinary means of grace church plant yeah. that you had really 
come to know Christ and to to grow in your your piety and and it was it was exactly what the Bible says you need and mm. and it was what you embraced. Yeah. So the funny thing is, people um, I think believe that they need to be uh, more like the world in order to attract people from the world uh, to Christ, but. Uh, if you're living in the world and you're deeply unhappy, you're looking for something that is completely different. You want light, you want something to hope in, you want something that is distinctive from the world. Uh, and I was one of those that I think church strategists would think, well, we need to reach somebody like that. We're going to have to change the music in the church because I was into punk music. I loved, you know, punk music. I'd drive around with, you know, the car stereo up on really loud and sort of deaf in my ears. And then I walked into a psalm singing and hymn singing church. And I fell in love with it um, mm. because, because it was something that was um, completely distinct from everything that I'd experienced. And, you know, from the preaching of the word to the singing of the word to the word um, uh, pictured in the sacrament, um, it, it was exactly what I'd been looking for. And uh, I felt the pull of, I think, God's spirit within me drawing me to what the spirit had mm. and was revealing uh, in that worship um, that I had there at Gateshead, mm. you know, Gateshead Presbyterian Church back in the day, now All Saints Presbyterian Church. Yes, in, in Newcastle. And yeah. and so the Lord then called you to ministry. How how I know a lot of uh, young men that may be listening to this who are in seminary might think, you know, how do you how do you know that you're called to the ministry? What was it that that really drew you in? Well, I did have an inner desire. So internal call to the ministry fairly early on, I suppose. Um, I had a passion before I was converted for philosophy, and then when I was converted, it was for theology. So I love truth. I love, I love the Word of God. I loved reading Christian theology. And the, the elders in the church began giving me opportunities to teach a little within the church. Now, I had this, this desire to make the truth known but it wasn't natural to my personality. I'm, I'm an introvert. I was, I was terrified having to speak to people and have to actually deliver, you know, a teaching or, or something like that. And so really I was helped tremendously by the external call of the church. It was, it was the elders who saw something in me that I couldn't see and encouraged me and slowly built me up over a period of time. Um, and that was then, um, so that came from the session, but then also I had the external verification of the, the presbytery as well. Uh, and all of that has been really helpful because I'm somewhat given to pessimism and self-doubt. And um, it's helpful to be able to look back on the testimony that came from the church outside of me to say, we believe that God is calling you to this. Um, and then that harmonized with what I felt as an, an increasing call from God within mm. to pursue ministry. Mm. So a pessimistic Englishman. I've never heard of one of those before. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do with the weather. <laughs> so an important point, uh, yeah. isn't it? That calling is not just internal. It's also external. If it's a proper biblical calling, it's not just a man believing he's called and not listening to anyone who say that they might not be called or gifted, but it's really a combination of those two, believing that you're called and getting that external verification and affirmation by yeah. elders who have spiritual oversight over your soul and can, yeah. can affirm uh, those, those gifts. Yeah. Um, and it's just really important uh, to, to recognize that when you consider calling. Yeah, you know, in terms of sort of looking for something that is distinct from the world, um, it's not simply in the, the forms of our worship or the content. 
um, it's seen in the lives of God's people and especially the ministers of the word and you know it strikes me as 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 just a really um, dominant note in the pastoral epistles how much Timothy is uh, exhorted by Paul to examine his heart to make sure that he's ministering out of love with clean conscience a pure heart uh, he's guarding his own heart he's watching sin in his life and um, I think uh, you know we can all deceive ourselves and and at times we can desire to go into ministry for the wrong reasons, but the external call is, is the thing that is, is a real safety net because with the external call you have those who, Lord willing, are examining your heart as well as your mind, as well as your giftedness mm. to teach. Um, without that, I wouldn't dare pursue ministry. Um, mm. I would not dream of going into ministry as a self-appointed teacher. Mm. So you've touched upon an important point, uh, and that is pastoral piety. Mm. Uh, the the importance of of a man um, being someone who's walking with God himself before he teaches others to do so, right? And oftentimes, uh, the ministry can be seen as well. I'm not really sure what else I want to do with my life, mm. and I love Jesus, and so mm. I'm going to become a pastor. Mm. And yet, we are seeing more and more men, you know, being disqualified from ministry mm. because of you know a lack of of piety. Um, an embracing of the ways of the world, uh, mm. sexual sin, lack of integrity, uh, anger issues. You know, mm. we uh, we can kind of go down the line, and um, some seem surprised mm. uh, even that there would be a question about the number of men who are actually in ministry, uh, mm. whether or not there should be as many in ministry as 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 we see, mm. uh, particularly with so many falling into sin. Mm. Uh, how would you? How would you? encourage young men today to think about piety as they're either approaching the ministry or, or even within the ministry? Yeah, I mean, imagine a medical doctor who just loves death and <laughs> delights to see people suffer yes. and die. Um, you would never put yourself under the care of a doctor like that. Um, and a doctor of, of the soul has to be somebody who loves life and loves to see the life of God. Or a doctor that walks in, walks in the office and he's 300 pounds, you know, overweight <laughs> yes. and has a, a cigarette in his mouth and he's, <laughs> he's drinking a, you know, a afternoon scotch. Yeah, well, I tried to avoid that because that might be too, too common. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, that, that's kind of yeah. the picture with a lot of ministers. They, they, the idea these days with the kind of antinomian air is... You know, I, I want to be a broken, messy person so that I can minister to broken and messy people. And it's kind of this, this standpoint epistemology yeah. that the only way I can really relate to people is if my life's a mess. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing we're hearing a lot more in churches and pulpits today, which is really unbiblical. Yeah. And, you know, it's super high stakes. Uh, a minister of the word is there proclaiming the, the power of God unto salvation and if there is no salvation to be seen in their lives, then their entire message is undermined. And um, we, we talked earlier on, but you have there in First Timothy, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Mm. Um, and through sin that has crept into their lives and through false doctrine, they have shipwrecked the faith. Um, that is an enormous burden to carry to know that you have brought shame on the name of the Son of God who was crucified and risen mm. for us. Um, and it all begins with the heart of the man who is going to stand up and minister the word of God. If his life does not match what he says, um, his ministry will uh, be ineffective 
in the sight of God. Ethos. Ethos is everything. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the, the work in Sunderland. Um, tell us a little bit about you know, what, it, what it's like to minister in this town. Tell us a little bit about the town of Sunderland and, uh, and the church plant itself. Well, um, Sunderland is a place with a fairly long history, especially um, in American context. Uh, the city goes back to the 7th century, grew out of monastic communities. Um, it's the home to the Venerable Bede, and he worked there, uh, wrote many of his great works, trained men for gospel ministry. It was once home to 19 Presbyterian churches at the end of the 19th century. Wow. Thomas Chalmers preached in the city. They had a Presbyterian school, and there was a, a time when the parents had to petition the local government to allow them to opt out of learning the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Wow. All of that work came to an end through liberalism uh, at the end of the 19th century and then into the 20th century, and the Presbyterian churches all uh, died uh, completely. So there is, there is nothing apart from our church in the city that is confessional and is uh, Presbyterian. The city itself then also uh, suffered. It's a, it's a socially, materially, uh, morally uh, deprived area mm. um, uh, and in desperate need of, of, of light and of healing and of truth uh, from God's word. And so it's not the city that it used to be. Um, but I take great encouragement in knowing that saints for centuries have been praying for the well-being of the people of that city. And, and I believe, and we see in scripture, that ancient prayers are answered by God at his appointed time. And my hope is that God will begin answering the prayers of the saints of the past uh, to begin a harvest of souls in that city. Uh, I want them to be able to have the exact kind of experience that I had in that Presbyterian Reformed Church plant. And I want to see people who are just like me being converted to Christ. So we have a little congregation. We meet in a community library. Uh, we worship morning and evening. We meet for corporate prayer on a Wednesday. I teach through books of the Bible, we sing psalms, we sing hymns. We have the Trinity Psalter hymnal, actually, just like you guys uh, over here. Mm. Um, there's a congregation of about 30 people. Mm. Uh, we've had a lot of people come and go. People test out the church. People cause trouble in the church. But right now, um, I'm thankful to God. We have a spiritually healthy uh, congregation of people who love each other and who love the Word of God. And um, really, I see, I see this as um, the project... Um, that I'm committed to for the rest of my life. I, I don't just want a church for today. Mm. Uh, I want a church for future generations in Sunderland. And so I'm ready to give the rest of my life to seeing this church established, um, teaching the next generation in order that they might teach the next generation after them. Oh, that's wonderful. I know you're hoping and praying for an assistant to come and to serve um, alongside you and you're praying to that end. And I know that you're Hard is to see many more men raised up uh, to go into the harvest and to, to do church planting in, in Great Britain. Yeah, um, Sunderland is not an attractive town to come to, though um, there are redeeming features to it. We live by the, the seaside. It's a very nice place. I, I walk with people. I get to go out for prayer walks and disciple people by the, by the sea. Uh, all of that is very beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I, I put out a call to any interested parties who... <laughs> you know, uh, walk with, with fear and trembling before the Lord uh, and desire to see uh, the gospel uh, reach a people who desperately need it and ordinarily would not be considered um, the kind of 
the normal candidates for receiving the truth of God. Um, but we need help. Uh, it's uh, it's lonely and it's difficult work being a church planter. You you have to do everything in the church, and and time sometimes is you know tight. Um, you're preaching twice on the Lord's Day. You're ministering in the middle of the week. You have uh, meetings. You're going out. You know pastoral visits. Um, so yeah, some help would be would be needed. So I'm looking for a good man to come and and help me in the work. Wonderful. And tell us about your family. Well, I'm married to you. Uh, beautiful and and. Uh, perfectly complimentary and um, godly uh, wife. She's called Anna. Uh, her experience was very different to mine. She was she was homeschooled. She was baptized into the Presbyterian Church, raised on the catechism, has a literature degree from Durham University, um, is, is sweet, is meek, um, and just perfectly suited to the work of ministry. So we do a lot of hospitality. And then we have three beautiful children. Mary is six, Ruth is four, John is two. Uh, and Anna gives an awful lot of time uh, to helping raise those children as well. But it's a really happy home. My, my office is in the home, so I'm studying in the mm. home. Kids are doing their home school. At times I can be very busy, but I have that privilege of being able to just pop into the schoolroom, check up on the kids. They can come into my study. I have an open door policy. Um, so we have a very happy family life together. Um, but again, looking back to my experience at Gateshead, it was being in Christian families that took every day and every moment of their lives seriously before the Lord that, that was so formative for me. Mm. And so we see part of our ministry as, as being a model by God's grace of what the Christian family is to be. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, what would be just a couple of things if, if folks wanted to pray uh, for you, Nathan, and uh, for the church? What are just maybe two or three things that you would ask for prayer for? Well, we really need officers in the church, elders and deacons. There, there, there would be reasons that, that some of the people that are with us are just disqualified for one reason or another. So we really need the Lord to bring along um, men who would feel called to serve Christ church, either in the office of elder or deacon that could be trained up and that would help serve alongside me in the work. And then the second thing is, is growth. We're seeing growth. Uh, in terms of spiritual maturity of the believers in the congregation. But, of course, we want to see more people added to the church. Um, I would love to see the church grow. It's a joy when you have a fuller congregation and you can hear them singing the praises of God, um, and it encourages everybody. So we want to see more people come in. Um, we'd love to see conversions, but there are also a lot of disillusioned Christians who've given up on the church, and we want to get more of those people back into the life of, of the church and regular fellowship. Mm, that's wonderful. And if if folks wanted to learn more about the church and go to the website, where would they go? What is the website? The website is uh, sunderlandpres.org.uk. Okay. Uh, you could search for Sunderland Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Google, and you'd find us that way. And uh, when you when you come onto the website, a pop up box will be there, uh, allowing you to sign up to our newsletter. So I send out a newsletter every two months, and if you would sign up and commit to praying for us, that would be a great encouragement. That's wonderful. Well, Nathan, it's such a blessing to be able to speak with you today, and we're so thankful for your ministry in Sunderland, as well as uh, your ministry to Christ Church Presbyterian on this Lord's Day. So we're so glad to have you. We're only disappointed that Anna's not with you and, hmm, and the me kids. Too. <laughs> we uh, look forward to seeing them. God willing, in October, I think I'm, I'm planning on being over oh, um, praise for, God. The, for okay. the conference. and. So hopefully that'll that'll work out, and um, looking looking forward to it. And thanks again for 
for being on the, the show. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me here in the church and also on the, the podcast. Uh, so thank you very much, John. Well, we thank all of you for listening in uh, to this episode of Between the Times, and uh, we hope that you'll join us for our next episode. God bless. God bless. <laughs>